kids. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to yet another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 19 of the show, where we are continuing our journey through early 1963. And we're picking up with um, the last couple comics that were put out in, what are we on, February now? And then the we first are. comic that was released in March, or one of the first comics that was released in March. I don't have my normal uh, date references no, right in front of me because I forgot to prepare. No, it's first on sale February 12th. So we're, I guess, in the second week of February 1963. Right. And then if we, if we get through those two, we have a third comic in line that will take us into March. Right, right, right. Yeah. But first up is, uh, my fun time with Fantastic Four. Number 14, it's my turn. John got to summarize the awesomeness that was Amazing Spider-Man 2 uh, last episode. Yeah, that whole entire episode for one comic book. Yes, that one. <laughs> That's right. I but I have we did so that, many yeah. notes on this comic that we didn't want to just like go into the next issue. Right, right, right. Yeah, this was too good. It's hard to do um, when they're like two full-size books back to back, especially when it's Spider-Man and Fantastic Four. And maybe whenever continuity is not important, we can kind of juggle our list a little bit. To yeah, maybe we should. Spread but, things out a little bit. We ended up talking about Spider-Man for an hour anyway, so that's plenty of time. Yeah. Um, but this is Fantastic Four number 14, which is cover dated May 1963. Again, came out pro- probably around February 12th of 1963. Um, it's got our guys Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, and it's called The Merciless Puppet Master. I don't know if you guys remember that guy. Creepy stepfather, dude. Right. Uh, but, it, but it starts right where Fantastic Four number 13 left off with their adventure on the moon where they met the Watcher and fought the Red Ghost and his angry apes and monkey. Um, they're coming back. They're all excited. Oh, there's going to be a hero's welcome. We're the first humans to ever uh, be on the moon. And they're not wrong. They get there and there's a big parade of people and, um, and you know they get overwhelmed until Johnny like tries this new trick where he creates like <laughs> I can't remember what he calls it like a hot tunnel or something really inappropriate sounding and he spins really fast <laughs> he spins really fast and like sucks the three members up into this vortex and plants them on the top of uh, the Fantastic Four building so it's like whew, got away from those guys so after that they get home and they're like let's just relax a little bit let's all take naps and stuff so they all go do their own thing and it cuts to like a quieter moment where Reed is like experimenting in the lab. I don't even know if they say what he's working on. It doesn't matter. It's Reed Richards. And he goes wandering the corridors and he finds Sue Storm um, in like a room with like this big television screen. And she's using this underwater camera system thing that Reed invented so that they can look for Submariner. Now in his thoughts, he's immediately thinking, oh, she's looking for Submariner because – she likes him and she's trying to find him. But he doesn't say that out loud. So there's this really awesome, awkward moment where it's like, oh, Sue, you're uh, looking for some Mariner probably because he's one of our greatest enemies, right? And she's like, oh, yes, that's exactly why. And he goes, <laughs> okay, cool. And then he leaves and goes and cries in his lab. And for the first time since issue one or maybe ever, he talks about how he really wishes – that he could hook up with Sue and he loves her and it's like, huzzah, finally. Um, anyway, then it cuts to like a homeless shelter or some sort of rehab clinic or something like that. I can't remember. But apparently that's where the puppet master has been for months. He didn't actually die on the street like they thought. 
I guess when they weren't looking, he kind of scurried away and checked himself into this halfway house or something. But that's he's, what happened that one time that I fell out of a window. Yeah. I just snuck away when no one was looking. <laughs> right. And then they all think, oh, John must be dead. Um, that's how you avoid the IRS. And uh, so he, is, he, he checks himself out and he's decided, you know, he needs vengeance on the Fantastic Four. But he can't do it himself or actually like all villains in this 60s era, he doesn't want to just like take over their bodies with his awesome radioactive puppets. That would be too easy. He wants to destroy them. So who could he choose? And he goes through their like roster of bad guys and picks the Submariner. So we cut to the Submariner, and he has just found evidence that his people are still alive, and he's very excited. It's like evidence that's like maybe only a couple months old or a couple years old or something like that. And he's going to keep looking, but the puppet master takes him over. And he goes to his home, and he it's revealed that he has like this one fish in the world that is telepathic or something like that, the telepathic fish. And he uses that to contact Sue and ask her to meet him at the wharf. And she does this, and she doesn't tell the other members because she's scared that they'll beat him up, and she can turn invisible and sneak out easy. So she does that. As soon as she gets there, she knows something's wrong because Subby's just kind of standing there hypnotized. And then, like, another fish comes out that can hypnotize people, and it hypnotizes Sue. And this fish can also – has a second mutant power. It can, like, create air bubbles around people, so it does that for Sue so she doesn't die, and the Submariner captures her. And then later he uses a holographic projection of himself, a la Star Wars, I guess, and tells the FF that he's captured her and, you know, you need to come save her. And Reed gets really mad because now he wants her back, so now he's passionate. He says, oh, we're going to tear up all the oceans to find Sue because I'm interested in dating her again. So they do that. And they make a pit stop on the way to Alicia Masters, and she kind of cries and convinces the thing to take her with her, and they do. And they all go in this boat, this fantastic boat. Or actually, no, they rent a submarine-type thing from somebody. They don't call it a submarine. We'll, we'll talk about what they call it later because I can't remember. But it's kind of a submarine kind of thing. And they go into the ocean, and Submariner captures them in this giant clam and then they wake up because the clam like also drugged them or something. And they wake up and they're Sue and they're like, well, let's stop him. And and Human Torch tries to stop him, but he has like an anti-firefish. And then the thing tries to stop him, but he has like some weird gel rock stuff that like hardens and stuff. And finally, Reed is like, enough of these shenanigans. You go save Sue, who, by the way, is in like this glass case with an octopus. You go save Sue and I'll just beat the crud out of this guy and he basically stretches more than he's ever stretched before and like imprisons Namor and Namor can't get out and so the thing jumps in the glass case easily dispatches the octopus by like throwing it through the roof and he gets Sue but then Human Torch has this like eel thing that's got poison and he points it at him and did I say Human Torch? I'm sorry Submariner has this eel thing with like poison and he's thinking to himself, like, why do I want to do this? I don't want to kill Sue, but I can't stop myself. This is really weird. It's like I'm being controlled. And meanwhile, Alicia's watching the whole thing going, it's like he's being controlled. I wonder if that's my stepdad. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that sounds right. It could be your stepdad. Meanwhile, the octopus gets blown through Namor's roof. And, of course, now water's flooding in. And the human torch fixes that by melting the walls and stuff. But I guess somewhere along the way, the puppet master is also in the water. Because he has to have a range or something to control. And he's in a submarine and he sees the octopus coming at him because now the octopus wants to kill something. And he thinks, oh boy, I better make an octopus thing real quick. And he makes it 
But it turns out he can't control brainless things, and an octopus in the Marvel Universe in 1963 is classified as brainless, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it, it doesn't work, and the octopus, like, essentially eats the submarine with the puppet master in it, and that snaps out Namer, wakes him up, and he goes, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, uh, you were just trying to kill us. No. Are you here to, like, hook up with me, Sue? She's like, no, not really. Awkward. And he goes, well, then get out. And they all go, okay, we're going to talk this up as some sort of hypnotism. We're not really sure who did it, but you weren't acting yourself. So we'll see you later, and maybe we'll call on you again, and, you know, we can be friends and stuff. And he's like, yeah, not likely. And then they leave, and he goes back to thinking about, like, trying to find his people. Yeah, I didn't realize until the that, that weird awkwardness at the ending that the Fantastic Four never run into the Puppet Master. No, they don't. They don't know what happened exactly. No, this is all behind the scenes the mm-hmm. entire time, which – you know, is cool. This is it a is. really good comic. It is. I really enjoyed this one. This is like issue four, issue ten level of goodness. Uh-huh. Um, okay. So I know we kind of glossed over it a couple episodes back, but I think it's kind of worth highlighting that issue 13 leads directly into issue 14. Mm-hmm. And not only is this the first time that happened, but this also means it's the first time we kind of have to do a little bit of continuity juggling, like – as readers, you know, for those readers in the audience who like to pretend that these are continuous narratives for the characters. Right. Because Strange Tales is happening at the same time. Strange right. Tales 107 came out a week after issue 13. Strange Tales 108 is on stands the same week as this issue. And so readers had to mentally rearrange events if you like to do that. Now we are, we take a few cues from the complete Marvel reading order website and it slots both 107 and 108 before the trip to the moon in 13. So torches mm. in 106, 107 and 108. And then the Fantastic Four do issues 13 and 14. Which makes sense. Yeah. But I kind of prefer to read these as if I was a kid in 1963 and had to wait for them to show up at my grocery store, you know? Yeah. So, and but it's yeah, only, it's, it's only worth, once it's you worth get commenting. Com- it's worth commenting for sure because it's like they literally are just back-to-back stories. So and It's only once you get the comics that you can even try to put them in any kind of order. Right. So – when we get, I think when we get to the Avengers and Thor has his ongoing sagas on the side while he's also in the Avengers comics, I think it's worth, you know, as we go along talking about, okay, how might these fit together? Not get mm-hmm. bogged down in it, but just kind of throw it out there. Yeah. Um, we've been talking about how there have been some new cover, uh, the corners on the cover. Uh huh. And this has the team with little headshots yep. and reads all like, hee hee, I'm the only one who has a normal life still. Right. Well. He acts that way, but it's not true. Yeah. Only the thing has trouble. He hasn't changed lately either, has he? No, they've kind of dropped that whole changing thing. Mm-hmm. But this opening scene is great. I think Jack is on, on fire with this issue. It's like, his, you know, when he does good Fantastic Four, this is it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Like, I kind of glossed over it, but they, they don't just get rushed by people. They each have like a little thing. Like the Reed Richards has the Mr. Fantastic fan club, which is full of, the Clayville chapter. So there's multiple chapters and it's all these pretty girls who want a piece of him essentially because he's hot, which is funny because you kind of don't think of Reed as like, you know, sexy necessarily. Yeah. Like in the first couple of movies, he was kind of like the, the dorky older, almost dad type character. And well, yeah, I think maybe like in the context of today's world, Reed would not be good, interesting that way. Because he's kind of a fuddy-duddy, but maybe like we say back in – like we've said before in the 60s when we're talking about like 
you know, manly men. I don't know. Like, it's just a different definition, I guess, of what's sexy. And the, uh, the, the, the graying at the temples, may, I think, implies a bit more age than he actually has. We know that there's several, a, it's seven to ten years between right. him and Sue. Right. So if Sue's 25, that still only puts him at like 32 to 35. He's still a, a prime age man. This is like Robert Redford. Right. And I'm not arguing that he's ugly, like physically. He's, you know, got the square jaw and he's in shape because he can be in whatever shape he wants. But he's not a boyish but beauty. He is, is a he handsome man. Like how you would think of, is he a kind of guy? Cause it's more than just looks with attraction, especially, uh-huh. especially about men, maybe because guys like to just look at girls and see the pretty faces and they're done. Girls like more than just that theoretically. I'm sorry if I'm being sexist and stereotyping, but that's generally how I perceive it. Like it's not just about looks. Looks certainly help, but there's like a personality that goes with it. And I don't know, like in today's world, if Reed would be the kind of guy that it would have a Mr. Fantastic fan club, Clayville chapter. No, I, I, I think you're right. Who want him, you know? And I think like, there's been a lot to, um, juvenilize our, our ideals and standards of beauty. Like boy bands are a lot more popular mm-hmm. with young girls, you know, with teenagers than 35 year old men are. Yeah, actually, this would make a lot more sense if that was the Human Torch they were trying to tear apart. Yeah, that's more Beatles, like you know. You know, if if they were doing a you know early days of Fantastic Four story today, it's probably exactly where they would go with the mm-hmm. the Torch. Yeah, you mentioned the Beatles. This is very Beatlemania like. Mm-hmm. So I looked at Beatlemania, and Beatlemania wasn't really a thing yet. This is 1963. The Beatles are just just, just about to hit. Oh, they haven't even hit yet. I think in England they're like oh, really yeah. getting to the top like right around now. This is when they're 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 finally making it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could be wrong. I'm not an expert on Beatles, Josh. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, they haven't come is, to America. This is before that. Um, but, but yeah, then it's got um, the other guys. I because we got derailed on Reed's beauty, but the other guy I think is funny is like. They have a promoter who brings he brings his wrestler and he makes this big announcement that he wants the thing to fight him. <laughs> and then it's like the thing goes, eh, and just picks him up and like turns him head over heels and like just puts him in a garbage can because that's as much as that fight would ever be. I just thought and, that was a great comical uh, moment there. And then there are two guys after Sue. One of them wants her to sign on a Hollywood contract and one of them wants her to do deodorant endorsements. Right. And I'm like, okay, movie star – or deodorant advertising. Hmm. Hey, you Which know what? Which one should I pick? I think some advertising makes you a lot of money, but I don't know about deodorant. But yeah, like obviously there, there there is money to be made in commercials. Like if this was LeBron James and they're asking him to endorse Nike, right? He'd probably say or Sprite, which is what he's doing right now. They'd probably say yes. But and a lot of actors who haven't had a big project in a while will do endorse. Will do you know advertising because yeah. there is money in it. But mm-hmm. um. But yeah, it's a good scene. I liked it. That was really fun. They always seem to throw in something fun in the beginning lately, which I really enjoy. But you know what's crazy about all this? Yeah. They're all this excitement about the Fantastic Four coming back from the moon. Mm -hmm. But there's no excitement about the fact that they just went to the moon. Right? And that's what they were worried about. No one's talking about that. And that's that's just kind of weird. But um, Yeah, they don't, do they? That is really weird. But still, it's even, cool. Like we've said before, I like these real world like things and how the Fantastic Four are celebrities, and that's how it mm-hmm. would be if there was maybe anyway if there was someone yeah. real with power in our world. 
No, you're right. But, there would definitely be some celebrity. Assuming that we were at a point where we trusted the people, there would definitely be some celebrity. Well, you know, even if even if a lot of people didn't trust them, those who did would be out there giving them celebrity. Um, and I love that the, the torch makes a slinky teleporter. Right. Because I don't know about you, but my slinkies were my teleporters. You put them around the little guy and like slink it over and like he's over there. Now the actual figure lands on his head on the other end, which is always kind yeah. of awkward, but just pretend that didn't happen. I could never get slinkies to work. So I, if, if that was my teleporter, I'd just be dead, I guess. <laughs> Cause they never cooperated. But yeah, one more awesome, amazing human torch power that we probably won't see much of again. Right. Uh, but man, back to back. A, it's, go ahead. I was just going to say back to back good scenes because. After this fun with the, you know, fanaticism and stuff, then it goes to like my favorite part of the book, which is, you know, Reed and Sue being awkward. And yeah. Well, just before the, the, the awkward, they have the whole panel where everyone else is relaxing and she wants to clean house. I know. And, and I, I had two reactions to this because on the one hand, why isn't Sue also relaxing? This was a big trip. Girl, sit down, take mm-hmm. off your shoes. On the other hand, if there is work to be done, Reed needs to get his attitude adjusted because he's like, as long as you do your housework silently. Like, dude. All right. So here we go again. Remember the Jane Foster fantasizing about being basically domesticated by Thor? Uh Uh-huh. And part of me is like, well, it's okay if you are a female and that is something you want. Right. You can have it. But if you take a step back, Stan Lee is writing that. So that's what he thinks women want. Stanley is writing Sue as wanting to clean the house while so all the men sit. Then I'm thinking there are women or men in the world that would come back from a vacation and want to clean mm-hmm. or maybe just don't know how to relax or are like ADD about that sort of thing. So you could say that's just her personality and all the rest of them are lazy. Uh, but yeah, again, it's Stanley writing. So he's making the woman clean. He doesn't have human torch saying this. He has invisible woman saying this. So, Well, like my wife has a hard time um, relaxing. If there's right. clutter and mess around. So exactly. um, if we came back from a trip and there was clutter and mess, she would actually have a hard time chilling before those all picked up. So I can understand it. It's just like you said, it's a guy writing it, not uh-huh. – I mean we we know why that's happening. Uh, so Reed was gushing with affection in issue 11 and it was making Sue uncomfortable. Uh-huh. At the time, Reed thought she was uncomfortable because of Namor. We talked about how she just isn't that into Reed right now. Yeah. How did you read this scene? She didn't seem into him again. Uh-huh. Um, she does seem worried that he's on to her, though. And I don't know if that's because she knows he likes her or she knows that she should feel like she likes him. Or if because she just didn't want to get caught and – Anybody who caught her, she'd be embarrassed. You know, mm-hmm. I couldn't tell that. I did like that this scene is very much more explicit, maybe than issue eleven about how he really just wants her now, right? Um, and he goes into this thing about like he's Mister Fantastic, he can do anything, and it shows a bunch of scenes that he's done, and it's like, but I can't conquer her heart, right? I can't conquer the heart of the girl I love. Yeah, yeah um, and that would be unfortunate phrasing in a modern comic, but it's very in keeping with 1960s views of romance. At the very least, she's still trying to sort out her own feelings. Mm-hmm. But you're right. She doesn't say anything. He, whenever he presumes that there's some competition between him and Namor, he, he, he sees her at the television looking at this, at the ocean and she just turns around. Oh, Reed, you, you startled me. And she said, he says, you're still thinking about the submariner, aren't you, Sue? 
No, don't answer. There's no need to. Sometimes I wish you could find him again so we could settle things between us once and for all. And she leaves. He gives her a report to type. So she leaves. <laughs> he presumes that he is in competition with Namor for her heart. She does not say this at all. No, she doesn't. That's all she literally says is what you read. Oh, Reed, you startled me. Everything else is him. Right. And all, all nine of these panels is him talking or thinking. And the next time we see her alone, she's like, I might as well adjust the, view- the, the viewer. I gotta, gotta find Submariner. And later on, she is very excited to hear from Namor. So I guess all of our answers, all of our questions are answered as far as where her mind and heart are at this point. Yeah. Wasn't, was it issue 11 or some previous issue where she says, I know I should be interested in Reed, but I can't help thinking about Submariner or something like that. I don't think he ever, she ever says that. Okay. Maybe um, I'm just into that. Issue 11 is the one where like they're answering emails, emails, they're answering letters and he's <laughs> like, Oh, so you know how I feel about you. And she's like, don't read, don't write now. Oh, that's what she says. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. She, she really isn't putting a lot of, uh, thought or energy into him at all. So no, he, he to the point where maybe he should back off. <laughs> well, I mean, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't say a whole lot. He doesn't her. say like there is this panel, this big dialogue. You're still thinking about the submariner, aren't you, Sue? No, don't answer that. There is no need. Sometimes I wish you could find him so we could settle things between us once and for all. Now, I read that when I was being sarcastic with my summary as him just sort of like playing it off that she's looking for submariner because the team needs to fight him, mm-hmm. even though he knows full well that's not why she's looking. Yeah, I was I was reading that as so that Namor and I can settle this competition. Yeah, that's probably more likely what it means. Um, so that takes us to the Puppet Master. Blah. And the Puppet Master, last time we saw him, he was dead. Uh-huh. Or at least implied dead, but there was no actual direct statement. Like you said in the synopsis, he jumped out the window. It, it might not have been a high window. It might have been like a second story window. So he might not have been hurt very bad. Uh, and he's been in a sanatorium. Mm-hmm. Um, ever since then, doing one flew over cuckoo's nest. Yeah, and um, <laughs> I said it, it said it's been months. Yeah, so that's interesting. And he, he also thinks about the different yeah. villains he could model after. Right, right. I guess the mole man could work. He could go and and like brain control the mole man. Where would he get a scroll? Where would he know about the mole man? Where oh. would he mo- know about the Mole Man? It might have gotten published or something. Yeah, I guess the Mole Man did make an announcement at some point or something. Anyway. And Stan and Jack made comics about him. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> he probably just reads those. And he says that he thinks that Doctor Who ha- – Doctor Who – Doctor Doom has vanished from the Earth. Um, he has not technically vanished from the Earth. He is still here. He is just very, very small. Yeah, that would have been a great choice for him too otherwise. Right. I, but like it really matters because they have no will of their own, so – I mean, I guess the only thing that matters is when you're choosing the villain you want to use to kill your your uh, the people you want to kill is like, do they have the resources that you can manipulate them to use? So Submariner is a good choice because he has all these crazy fish that seem to like be perfect for taking on the Fantastic Four. All these plot device fish. (laughs) (laughs) Plot device fish. I love that. Yes. So Um, the Mento fish, right, is a fish that can transmit. Mental waves, and there's only one on the world, and he has it, I guess. And there's a hypnofish. And I love it. It's like floating right behind his head. He moves his head, and it's a hypnofish. Yeah, I guess his third power is a hypnofish can just fly around. Right. 
Because it's not even in the water. Oh, dude, yeah, it just kind of like floats around. It's like a hoverfish. The it looks hoverfish. like what's that? Um, what's that uh, DC villain that's like a starfish with the eyeball? Starro. Looks like that. Kinda. Kinda. Yeah. I don't know what was first, but yeah, it's just a big giant eyeball with four flippers. We do get the reminder that Namor is actively searching for his people at this mm-hmm. time, which I do really love because spoiler: this is the last issue of Namor before he finds his people. Okay. Yeah, I like that too. And I also wonder why isn't he using the Mento fish to find his people? Well, and it's funny, like, I mean, not to get all nitpicky, but how long does it take him to go from where he's looking for his people, which presumably is very far away from where he lives, or else he would have found this by now? And then he gets taken over, and five seconds later, he's back home using his Mento fish. So it seems a little inconsistent, like, how you travel under the ocean. Like, how fast can he travel, and how far is he traveling? Because ocean's big. <laughs> Puppet Master was mind controlling him for like 13 hours. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just to or, swim back to his home or, base. <laughs> or six weeks. Who knows? Yeah. Um, 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 yeah, I don't really love the Puppet Master parts of this too much, but I gotta say, I like the bit where, uh, they're testing things strength. Mm hmm. 10 tons. And he's just Ten holding tons. it. He's do, holding do, do, do. it. And he's complaining that it's heavy. And then he sees a projection of, Submariner and thinks he's real and just like gets mad and bends the thing in half and tosses it through the room. So like suddenly 10 tons isn't that heavy for him anymore. Yeah. I think he just likes to grouse. <laughs> yeah. But that was a really a uh, cool feat. That was cool. Um, also while the puppet master on that same page, he wears the protective suit when he slices hunks off of the radioactive clay. But <laughs> after he models it and is playing with his radioactive clay toys, he's mm-hmm. not wearing his suits anymore. No. So like, Maybe he's not. Maybe that's the reason that Alicia's his stepdaughter. Maybe he can actually have kids. Maybe um, he used to look like Gregory Peck, and then he found this stuff, <laughs> <laughs> and now he's the creepiest looking character of all time. But <laughs> my face will be the puppet master's next victim. Oh, um, oh, wow! He does get in the submarine right away, and I totally missed that part because the fact that he was in a submarine at the end really threw me. But I guess there is a bunch of panels here. It's a small Navy surplus one-man sub. He's like, I'm going to go get in the sub. Yeah. Um, they bring Alicia along. I think that's kind of suspect. And also, I thought at the time they brought her along to, like, uh, you know, interact with her puppet master daddy or something. Mm-hmm. But really all she does is say, this could be the puppet master. And they all nod their head and go, oh, yeah, yeah, good call. But they don't really confirm it. So she didn't need to come. So she, You're right. She didn't really need to come. She's just kind of there because she's things – person and this is actually the first expression of maybe romantic affection between the two on uh, panel seven it's like ben i'm frightened the submariner is so powerful so unpredictable and you'll be facing him where he's strongest in his own domain he says well read johnny and yours truly and exactly babes in arms why am i missing it i want you to it's the next panel ben if anything were to happen to you i don't know what i'd do you mean so much to me and And, but then she follows it with and I'd be alone with no one to look after me. So is she thinking of him as a boyfriend or as a caretaker? Yeah. And it's a little bit unfortunate. And maybe I've talked about this before, but um, she very much depends on other people. And I think that's a little bit unfortunate. And it's a little bit, you know, not the best female writing on Stan's part. On the other hand, she was raised by the puppet master. Exactly. And I can see how there would be a certain amount of dependence, like mm-hmm. bread, not bread, but like, you know, beamed into her. Like he kept her in a room and mm-hmm. only only let her out when he needed her to do something. Yeah, but yeah. before they um before they go on their on their trip 
they're having this like we may never come back discussion on page eleven. Mm-hmm. We know how dangerous Namor is. Did I mean? Are they going to have these talks before they go after Annihilus in the negative zone? Did they did they do this before going into space last issue? I don't know, but but here's like Namor could kill us. We know this, and we talked about Reed after like Sue's been kidnapped in the past because that's kind of the thing that happens to her now right now. Mm-hmm. And he's always very logical about it. Yes, you must go, and yes, you must do this. This issue will rip up half the ocean floor if we have to, but we won't return without Sue. Now let's move. So he's like. He's like, uh, you know, being more manly now about it. Yeah. And, and I wonder if there's a difference between how he behaves when she's around versus how he behaves when she's not. Or maybe he's just finally starting to get his mat on and like, we're going to see a more active progression of their relationship. Mm hmm. Um, then there's a lot of shenanigans with more fish. He's got a lot of fish. And, um, I don't know if you have anything to say before the fight, but I got to say, like, other than the part where he has all these fish. He's got a fish that can absorb fire, and he's got a – I don't even know what the heck – oh, a fungus that can encase the thing. But despite that, I do like the fight a lot. I really enjoyed it. So – Yeah, before we get to the fight, just a okay. couple thoughts. Okay. They set out, and Thing asks, hey, big brain, how do you know what sort of – what part of this puddle we're going to find the Submariner in? And he says, I don't. We'll have to take a pot luck. And I'm just like, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> Namor has been scouring the ocean, trying to find an entire city-state for months and so far, but unsuccessful. But we, the Fantastic Four, are going to go scour the ocean and try to find one person. And we yeah. just assume that it's going to go just fine. Well, um, he does say Submariner is probably observing them through his many countless undersea devices. And then we ask, well, what devices? But then that's been answered in this, in this comic because apparently he has a fish for everything. So right. He has camera fish and all sorts of stuff. So maybe he's like Ant-Man and like anytime the police talk about something, the fish tell him. And they think he inhabits the very deepest regions of the sea. And I'm like, okay, you know what? The deepest parts of the ocean are the weirdest parts. And we haven't even explored them very much. Mm-hmm. I don't think you should go there, Reed. <laughs> you should not go to the deepest parts of the ocean. And can his submarine that he rents even do that? Yeah, because you got like insane levels of pressure there. It's a bathyscaphe. Bathyscaphe. Is, but it's not a fantastic bathyscaphe. Is, it's not a fantastic bathyscaphe. <laughs> so like – if it was, you could say, okay, well, Reed Richards invented something that can do that, but he's just renting this. Right. Anyway. Um, on page 13, he does his, uh, uh-huh. his going through the ocean as, as the torch and like, uh-huh. he just did this in Strange Tales. So I guess that means Strange Tales definitely did take place first because it sounded like he did it for the first time there. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, it did seem like he was trying something out in the fight because he fought with Namor there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed to go better for him there. I don't know if it got too hot this time. Maybe he's trying to show off for Alicia. I don't know. Um, well, wait, you can she, she can't yeah. see. I mean, you're either white hot or you're not. That's how hot he has to get to evaporate all this stuff. But yeah, he doesn't last as long. Or he had to use more power to like counteract the underwater tornado that he was trying to stop. Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, Reed had to save him. Because he ran out of oxygen. He did run out of oxygen. Almost died. Page 14, we have a clam, a giant scavenger clam. Mm -hmm. Just to clarify, though, all clams are considered scavengers. They just sit there and wait for, you know, food to come by their their clammy itself. Um, So scavenger clam is not a special species of clam. And also, I love octopuses. Me too. 
They're fantastic creatures. They're very interesting. And this is a giant one. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, he so, does, yeah. Octopuses don't have two eyes, though. So I like that. Like the, uh, the setup, you know, she's in this, this air bubble and there's an octopus there and he can tell the octopus to kill her at any time. It feels like a James Bond villain. Yeah. And they all go to fight him. And again, except for the stupid fish, I think it's a good fight. I love how he defeats the torch and then that makes Ben mad. I like any time that Ben or the torch like have each other's back in a fight because mm-hmm. they hate each other normally. But And since the last fight, he has found an anti-torch flower. Yeah, anti-torch flower. Actually, kind of makes sense that he looked that up if he just fought that human torch too, right? Yeah. Um, so that's weird how the puppet – how does the puppet master work? Because it seems like he he controls you – you know, step for step, but then I guess he can just also say generically like kill the Fantastic Four and it's up to you how you do it. Yeah, it seems to have both. Like he can actually move your little puppet and make you do something or he can just like put thoughts in your heads. I mean, it's one of those, it's, it's the, the puppet master's powers again are so do not think about them and how they work. Because <laughs> if right. you think about the puppet master yeah. too hard, your eyes will grow big in your skull and you will get a really creepy grin. Right. Because he wouldn't know about flame fish and fungus and stuff like that. So no. that must be the, the submariners doing. When, but, um, yeah, speaking of the fungus though, he puts the fungus all over the thing. And you know what the thing made me think of? Mm. He turns into Rick Moranis from the end of Ghostbusters. <laughs> Except he can break out because he's awesome. Yeah. Um, but I love how Reed just goes nuts on him. Or not even just goes nuts. He's not upset. He's not like crazy. I think it's more like, would you guys stop screwing around and – Go say Sue and I'll just deal with this dork. And then just like turns his body into this crazy like, uh, you know, set of ropes or something that like keeps the submariner occupied for a while while the thing can save Sue. Yeah, because just, 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 just to point out, just for the record, who is saving Sue and who is in a pretentious jealousy match? The oh. thing is saving Sue. Ben Grimm is saving Sue. Yes. And Reed is cockfighting. That's true. He is. <laughs> That's one way to look at it. But he was told by Reed to go save her. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he didn't mind. And, you know, Thing versus an octopus, that was really fun, too. Oh, yeah. That's great. <laughs> Page it 18. Great. Yeah. first panel. <laughs> I hate when my octopus is accidentally an elephant. Because that's exactly what he looks like on that first panel of Page 18. It looks like an elephant. Yeah. Yeah, they probably didn't do a lot of research on the whole uh, octopus thing, but... I don't even know if we knew a whole lot about octopuses back then. Like... I mean, okay, octopuses are great. Octopuses might have small brains, which they say in this comic, but only because two-thirds of their brain matter, their their neurons, are distributed throughout their bodies, especially their tentacles. Each tentacle in an octopus is able to operate 100% independently of all the others. Mm. Like, its entire body is intelligent. It's crazy, crazy awesome. So maybe what they really mean is he can't control anything but humans. But of course, actually, Submariner – well, Submariner is half human. But um, yeah, they do call it straight up mindless. Yeah, it's, is, just, it's just 60s misunderstandings of stuff. But yeah. I had to fight for my octopuses. Yeah, really. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. Like The thing, <laughs> brave kid, not a whimper out of her. First time I ever saw a female who could keep her mouth shut so long. I mean, women, am I right? They're always talking. You know what you know, I mean? What's sad is there's probably things out there today, too. So, yeah. So long, Stan, and thanks for all the misogyny. All right. Um, 
So uh, Alicia says, although I cannot see, I sense another presence here. Presence I haven't felt since. No, I sense a mental power, a sinister control, like the power of my stepfather, the puppet master. Dun, dun, dun. And then Reed's like, well, that would explain everything. But he's dead. Or is he? But then they never confirm that or deny it, which is cool. I like that it's open-ended and they never really get a solution. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And just before that, the puppet master kind of has an oh shit moment. He's like, the Fantastic Four are more powerful than I thought. This is not the way I planned it. (laughs) (laughs) I should have just taken them over. But does Alicia have superpowers? I don't remember. I know she's a sculpt. That's just an artist, but she's no, I don't think she does. I don't know. She's sensing mental powers. She's, I feel like if she were in the Legion, the early sixties, her little name tag in front of her at the table would say super blindness powers. Or is she just used to her stepfather controlling people and she knows what that sounds like or feels like? Cause she can't see, right? So yeah. maybe when the submariner talks, he sounds like someone who's been possessed and she's been around that. So her saying, I sense another presence here. Maybe she's just trying to sound cooler than she is, but I mean, you could just argue that, that she, she knows what it's like to be around someone who's being controlled by her father. I'll buy that for a dollar, but I don't know. Maybe she does have powers and I can't remember. Um, we get to page 20 mm-hmm. and they're about to go all to town on Namor and Susan jumps in front. Mm-hmm. She says, all of you stop. You mustn't. You have to listen to me. He doesn't know what he's doing. He isn't to blame for what's happened. Alicia was right. And Sue is right. I think she's motivated by her hormones a bit here, but she's definitely right, right. that Namor's not in control. Right. And they don't care. And once again, they don't care. Like she's done this multiple times with him, saved him. Like when he showed up at uh, – when he was working with Dr. Doom, he showed up and she's like, you don't even know what he's here for and they're trying to kill him, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, she isn't wrong, but yeah, you're also right. It doesn't hurt that or help that she likes him. Right. Um, they sent the octopus rocketing through the ocean and it's like three pages later. It finally cracks through the, the ceiling. Yeah. That was the timing was a little off on that, wasn't it? And it's just like a really massively huge dome. But even still, it should have taken seconds and all these things are happening. It's the slowest rocketing octopus ever. Right. And then it eats Puppet Master and everything goes back to normal. And then my favorite line. Puppet Master Nemo. Um, my favorite line is after they all are leaving and Namor's like, yeah, just get out of here. And he goes, or she says, I guess, goodbye. I pray that someday you will lose the bitterness from your heart and that you might become our friend. And he says, friend, that is too mild a word for the Submariner. Farewell. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That makes me love Namor so much that he can't even handle that. Like, no. I don't do friend. It, 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 it could be right. I read that and I laughed also because it's a great line. It's so Namor. It could be taken two ways. I don't do friend because Imperius Rex and all y'all. Yeah. Or friend is not the right word for how I feel about you, Susan. Yes. And at the time, I think when I read that, I thought Reed had said that. So that's why I assumed it was Imperius Rex version. But yeah, it could be that he just doesn't want to be friends with her. Well, as we've seen and talked about in previous episodes, Jack Kirby is moving off books. Mm-hmm. And his extra workload for this year does include the Fantastic Four annual. It's not that far away. So I'd like to think that part of the motivation behind this issue is to deliberately seed the annual. I'm, I'm thinking in my imagination, completely and purely imagination, at this point in time, they're managing what they're going to do. And part of the idea is to do a big old story where Namor finds his friends and this issue sets that up. Could be works for me. 
But this is a fantastic story. It's great. Great issue, great art, great story. Um, we didn't mention Namor's ass on the cover. <laughs> you know what's weird? It's like, I, as I said before, I used to want to draw comics for a living, and there was a book called How to Draw the Marvel Way with by Stanley and John Buscema. Mm-hmm. And one of the rules was don't put backs on covers. Oh, yeah. You mentioned that with the, uh, I think, with the scrolls issue. Mm-hmm. So here, but don't that, put the this is a, backs. This is a more dynamic version, though, so I don't know if this is against the rules or not. Well, I've noticed one thing in a lot of the um, – a lot of the Netflix Marvel shows, uh-huh. the directors really like to do a camera directly centered on the back of somebody's head, following them as they walk. Uh-huh. Did that with the Kingpin, did that with the Punisher. They did that a few times. And I think it can be hugely dramatic to have somebody's back because yeah. you're seeing everything that they see. Yeah. Especially if it's a mystery character or something, but yeah. Um, and in those particular situations, we hadn't seen those people's faces yet. Yeah. I'm thinking of anyway. Um, all right. But that was the Fantastic Four 14. Unless you have any other thoughts on it. No. Let's move on to another no-faced character. Tales of Suspense 41. Okay. Um, not that Doctor Strange is probably going to be the episode title for this episode. <laughs> yeah, sadly not. That would have been interesting, huh? To be fair, he is only two months away, but this is Iron Man meeting his doom when he invades the stronghold of Doctor Strange. He's only two months away? Yeah. So uh, Strange shows 110. So how long does it take them to do a comic? Because they didn't know that on their docket was a guy named Doctor Strange? I guess. That's weird. It took him less well, than two months to make Doctor Strange? And Stanley didn't write this story. Oh, so maybe it just slipped by him or something. Yeah, Robert Bernstein wrote this story. Yeah, script you'd think it'd take more than two months to invent a character and start a book, but um, I don't although know. Although I'm pretty sure that Stanley didn't expect a Steve Ditko, Doctor Strange thing to last. We'll talk about that more when we get to it, but okay. Doctor Strange, yeah, we'll talk about that in a few episodes. Um, all right, so Doctor Strange is this science villain who's been in jail and he gets released and goes after Iron Man. Um, the story starts out with Tony Stark like doing charity and on a hot date with a woman, but they can't make out um, because he has the iron plate on. He can't marry her because he would be an absentee husband. Um, there's some video montages of him doing Iron Man things. And you get the idea that even though this is like the third Iron Man story, that there's been a lot of Iron Man activity. Like he has become the hero of his, of his corner of the world. Um, so we also get reminded that he has to do the plate recharge thing that so far has not come along in like in the middle of a story. That's going to be a thing that we've always seen that like in the background. Um, what happens? Iron Man goes and does some shows. He like juggles some cars near with his magnetics and he shows how much of a hit he can take. Um, he hands out popsicles to kids <laughs> and Dr. Strange, again, this just weird Bela Lugosi looking dude who's in jail, um, gets himself free. Um, how does he break himself out? He, oh, he gets Iron Man to do it. He has a doohickey in jail with him that he can send a signal to Iron Man. And does he take over the costume or does he take over Tony Stark? His mind. Yeah. He like mind controls Tony Stark in the Iron Man costume. So Iron Man breaks him out and was like, Oh my gosh, what if Iron Man turns 
against humanity. Uh, Iron Man breaks out uh, Doctor Strange. They fly away from the prison. Um, they Iron Man drops him off and then like is wandering crazily down the road, not knowing who he is or where he is. He's David Bannering away. And they're like, oh, my gosh, Doctor Strange is free. You set him free, Iron Man. And Iron Man's like, oh, no, I will now capture Doctor Strange and get revenge. I must redeem myself in the eyes of the public. They have to love me. Um, meanwhile, I, Doctor Strange is working with, like, Dirty Commies. I think this is another commie mm-hmm. bastard story. Yep. Um, all for the sake of his daughter. That's, that's the thing is like, he's doing all these things to take over the world so that he can, you know, help his daughter out. And I want to sing about that later. Um, and Iron Man finally finds his stronghold, breaks his way in and they're fighting. Um, he's running out of energy and the fight ends because his daughter throws him a couple of flashlight batteries. <laughs> Yeah. Like a couple of D cells. So his, you know, computerized army war tank suit that is out of power is revitalized with a couple of D cells. And uh, he's able to stop Doctor Strange. And Doctor Strange feels betrayed by his daughter. Um, oh, wait, no, he doesn't stop Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange gets away. Um, and like Iron Man promises that he will save her. Save her father for her, and we never hear about Doctor Strange again, like ever. Yeah. So I don't know what Jack Kirby was eating up to February prior to February twelfth, but man, he is doing a good month. Because you know, even though we're probably going to slam the story, I have a feeling I think the art is fantastic on this thing. The art does look really good. We've had Don Heck, I think, on the previous two installments oh, of Iron Man. That's right. Wow, I didn't even think about that. So is this the first Kirby Iron Man? No. Um, I'm, I'm flipping back now to look. No, he did the last one. He did do the last one? Yeah, he did the caveman, or the, you know, Cro-Magnum one. He, Don Heck did the first one. Okay. But yeah, but Gargantua, Gargantus wasn't a wasn't good super, story. Yeah. Well, this isn't a good story either, but for some reason, the art didn't stick out for me on, on Gargantus or whatever. But this one, like, I really enjoyed all the, like, him showing off for the kids and stuff. That artwork was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, all of it was good. But, uh, yeah, that's that. And now we have to talk about the story, but. Uh, okay. Yeah. I don't really <laughs> want to talk about this story very much. Well, um, I do want to give a medal to Robert Bernstein for making it all the way to the bottom of page five before mentioning transistors. Yes. Yes. Very nice. Um, and before we get to Dr. Strange, the stuff where he's like, Showing off for the kids by lifting the cars and making them spin around him and stuff. That's just fantastically cool looking. I don't yeah. know that Iron Man is, is like Magneto in that sense much longer after this. Like, does he do that all the time? I don't think he can, but, um, it was a cool look. And he takes quite a punch. They shoot a cannonball uh-huh. at him. Now the cannonball does lose some momentum because it crashes through a brick wall. Yeah. No, no, no. Two separate cannonballs. Because he says firing. So one cannonball goes through a brick wall to show how powerful it is. uh And another cannonball is caught by Iron Man. He catches it and then he crushes it. Right. Great stuff. Uh, But anyway, okay. So they introduced Doctor Strange and they did it in a way that it actually made me pause and go back in our readings mentally and wonder if I had already read about Doctor Strange. Right. And that goes into part of um, 
my history with this issue, because whenever Lily and I did this story for Avengers Inspirations, my conclusion after reading this was that Doctor Strange was being written as a major bad guy for Iron Man that we just hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you recall, I called attention last issue to an evil scientist who was getting captured in the montages at the beginning <gasps> of, the, of the last issue. Okay. The visuals are pretty different. That guy is like balding and has Captain Picard haircut. Mm-hmm. Um, but even though the visuals are different, one could rationalize that that was intended as Doctor Strange and then maybe change the model a bit. But in reading this, Doctor Strange is definitely presented as being not new to crime, but it never specifically says he has faced off with Iron Man before. So no, that might but have he does seem obsessed with him. A bit. Yeah, like Lex Luthor and Superman, right? But maybe he's obsessed with it because he knows he can use this little thing he invented to take over his mind because – he doesn't take over his mind. He does. But he takes over his mind by emitting an ultra-frequency wave that will fan out till they hit Iron Man who must have already left the hospital. And then does it say like how it works? Like it's not just a mind control device. Doesn't it somehow tie into Iron Man's electricity or some nonsense? Yes, yeah, says the light after that lightning. Uh, that lightning blast after the first paralyzing effects increased the electrical energy of my mind. Okay, so he has power. Yeah, um, he actually gave himself a little bit of superpowers there. That's okay. that's handy. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was transistor related, but apparently he's just literally like taking over the guy's mind. And um, but you know what's cool is nobody's upset with Iron Man about it. Like the police are like, "What are you doing here, Iron Man?" And he's like. He just keeps shuffling forward. Get out of the way. It's like he's walking in a trance. They totally are fine with the idea that it's not Iron Man's doing. And then in the end, when like he snaps out of it, they're like, poor Iron Man. He feels like a fool. His pride won't let him rest till he gets even with Doctor Strange. So like none of them, mm-hmm. none of them go to that trope of like, oh, Iron Man's evil and he let Doctor Strange escape. They all just assume that their hero is their hero and something bad happened to him. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't know how I feel about that because, like, on the one hand, it's cool that they love their hero. On the other hand, it's like you should you should maybe not trust this guy if he just broke somebody out of jail. You should at least ask, ask a question. Yeah, really, that's true. But yeah, it's very unmarvel of them because you know the marvel I know would probably like relish in the opportunity to <laughs> tear their hero down, <laughs> you know, any way possible. If this was Spider Man, they would not be assuming yeah. he was he was under. You know, hypnotic control, but. Uh, page 11, we're just dropping atomic bombs super casually. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. The fools have located our stronghold and are dropping A bombs on us. Mm-hmm. It's not working though. You got your good force field, Dr. Strange. Yeah, A bomb's not the most powerful thing in the Marvel Universe anymore, I guess, huh? I guess. Um, I love all the stuff with Iron Man just digging through the island and making his way up. That's all visually very exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, like, he just gets his butt kicked instantly because he ran out of power. Right. Um, and it's kind of cool that I, I said earlier, they don't really do anything with the charging bit, but they do play with his power levels. His power levels are definitely something he has to worry about. Uh-huh. Yeah. They've done it's that in, in both issues so far. It's kind of the torches uh-huh. time limit on his flame. Uh huh. And the things like random revert to human thing they were doing for a while. Mm hmm. And then Thor, every time he drop, he always has to drop his hammer every issue. So yeah. And the Hulk has to turn back to Bruce Banner. <laughs> wow. Every character has a thing that has to happen. <laughs> they all have a built-in weakness. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you have to have your kryptonite for your Superman. You got to have yep. something in there, keeping yep. them from being all they can be. Um, 
I, and I do question the electrical engineering of being able to just hook into some batteries. Like I've got these batteries, I'm gonna crack them up and use their electrics. But I do yeah. like the idea of Carla saving the day. And also, how much could those batteries actually power him? Like for how long? And yeah, but yeah, it is cool that she saved the day. And you know, I think I feel like I've seen these stories before where the father wants something from the children and they don't actually want it themselves. It's kind of a, but I can't really think of anything as, as an example. Oh, it, well, there is the classic trope of like the, uh, the father wanting the son to continue in their, uh, yeah. And the son wants to go off, like, you know, be a poet or whatever. Oh, um, you know what I can think of? I can think of golden age, uh, Batman, um, world's fair, 1940, the evil scientist that was going to take over the world for his daughter. And he brags to her about it. And she's like, um, I'm going to go tell Batman. <laughs> Cause that's crazy. And I love that you know that random ass story. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know my golden age Superman that well anymore. Yeah. It's been too long, but you are, you are the man behind the uh, daily Batman Twitter account. So you're always pulling panels out of those old stories. Yeah. I need to catch up on that. But anyway, yeah, I think I just recently reread it. So that's why I remember. I'm not, right, sure that, so. I'm not saying that they lifted that for this story because <laughs> there's plenty of other options probably. On the um, on the last page of the story at the bottom, uh-huh. I like to think that we have Baron Von Strucker there being led away with all the other people. <laughs> yeah, that could easily be the case. It's kind um, of a cool and sweet. Like, you know, he doesn't just say, I'll go kill your dad for you. It's like he's hugging her and mm-hmm. – comforting her it's a nice ending to kind of a story yeah or maybe he's trying to you know hook up with her but we know he can't do that anymore so he's probably actually yeah. being genuine here but and, and, and not that there's anything compelling about dr strange to bring him back but i wonder if the fact that we immediately get another character named dr strange is part of why no one revives this because there are a lot of crap characters who do get revived and do get brought back but on yeah. this one and this guy is pretty formidable. It seems like he escapes from prison and automatically has his Dr. No Island with all his Dr. No people. Um, so he could have come back. Maybe he has come back and the real Dr. Strange is like ironically dealt with him or something at some point. That'd be interesting. <laughs> it is very Dr. No. It is very Lex Luthor. He, he has all the supervillain tropes. Mm-hmm. Whole cloth out of nowhere. He's even got the Dracula collar. Yeah, he does. Um, and the Dracula – yeah, yeah, he does. Um, all right. So, so this was better than Gargant- Gargantus. It wasn't better than the first issue. I don't his debut. I don't think. No. Um, but yeah, it's like they cr- haven't quite figured Iron Man out yet. But you know what this means? Mm. It is time for a month in review. Oh, good. Um, I think I have my file open over here. Yes. I- <gasps> Crap! I didn't write down my. Like for January. What did I pick for most enjoyed in January? Oh my gosh. I forgot to write it in there. Oh, you cut out. You're cutting out. Oh, um, oh. it's okay. As long as my recording gets it and your recording gets it, it'll be yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, but my, my, um, my top pick for the January comics, I didn't actually write it into the file. So I'm going to have to go back and listen to the episodes and see what I put in there. It probably wasn't, um, I think it was the Hulk number six. But oh god, I don't remember. Mine was Tales to Astonish was top. I know that. Yeah, it was, it was a weird choice. And my bottom was probably uh, Strange Tales. It was Thor. Was it Thor? Oh yeah, 
Because it was the yeah, um, Thor was super stupid. That's right. Yeah, it was Thor. Those aliens. Mm-hmm. And All bad right. Art. So this month we have Thor versus Sandu the Supernatural. We have um, Ant Man versus the Mad Master of Time, the guy who ages people because he got fired. Mm-hmm. We have Spider Man versus the Vulture and the Tinkerer, which I meant to mention. We forgot to mention those were the two villains from Homecoming. Vulture and Tinkerer were in Homecoming. Oh, I, f- I always forget that one guy's supposed to be Tinkerer. Yeah. Right, because he's so young. Uh huh. And he's not and really curious. Strange Tales Torch versus the fucking Painter. Uh-huh. And then the two we covered today Fantastic Four and Iron Man. Okay, well, I know what my least favorite one is. Yeah. Strange Tales number 108. Yeah. It's just bonkers stupid. You uh, you led our discussion, or there was something you said about that. Where is it the Strange Tales one hundred eight of that era? Because that was that was dumb. <laughs> right. I forget what it was you said. I don't. I might not even made it on the episode, but yeah, uh, you you use Strange Tales one hundred eight as a byword. Okay, so Strange <laughs> Tales is there, and I'm also going to choose Strange Tales one hundred eight. Um, okay, you pick favorite first because I'm still on the fence. It's going to be Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, that's true. has to be for you, huh? I, it doesn't have to be, but <laughs> yeah, in this particular does. month, this particular month is going to be Spider-Man. <laughs> I mean, the what? Fantastic Four story was good. Yeah. It's a close second. You know what's weird is part of me really wants to pick Ant-Man again. I don't know what's going on because as of this recording, we just released Episode 7. And in Episode 7, we covered two Ant-Man stories. And I hated them both and went on and on about how dumb they were. And now I'm suddenly like looking forward to Ant-Man stories. They like somehow turned it, turned it around. Right. Maybe it's the Don Heck stories. It's possibly Don Heck. I think it's also they use less ants. And I think it's also that they've really made him like the hero of the city and that's fun. Uh, it's just a straightforward story though. It was very enjoyable. I liked it. I liked that he wasn't like super villainous, the bad guy and it all worked out happy in the end. And there was a see Timmy moment, you know, but I can't pick it. No, 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 no. I have to go Fantastic Four number 14, if only because I feel like it's moving their relationship along. Um, I really enjoyed that kind of creepy hallway scene where she doesn't really uh, she doesn't really like return his affection, but he's certainly mm-hmm. into her now and all that stuff. Spider-Man was cool, but I, you know, like I said, I don't really like the Joker and the Tinkerer was like not the Tinkerer I ever remember. I can't figure out how he could possibly be an alien. So that really didn't work for me. <laughs> so yeah, Fantastic Four 14 is my vote. I could actually stack these up in an order of like. Okay. Um, Amazing Spider-Man 2 and Fantastic Four 14 are both at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ant-Man is a solid competent, well-done story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, I don't think, great, but it is very good. Um, Thor and Sandu, I made fun of it a little bit more than it deserved. It actually was a half-decent story. It just wasn't great. It was just kind of there, and it did what it was supposed to do. Sandu wasn't terrible. Loki was mind-controlling him. Whatever. Yeah. Um, Doctor Strange is kind of bad. Painter is really bad. Yeah. Yeah. I would actually put Doctor Strange ahead of Thor just because I really enjoyed all the Iron Man performing stuff that happened before the actual story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Otherwise, I kind of agree with you. Although I don't know if I'd put Spider-Man above Ant-Man, honestly, because yeah, I don't know. I just don't care about the Vulture. I have a thing. Anti-Vulture, I guess. 
The problem with Ant-Man is like he doesn't it's it's just good solid read, good art, but it doesn't mm-hmm. really add anything. Yeah. It's like yeah. and we're sitting here like reading all these early issues going, when's this introduced? When's that happen? And then like with Ant-Man it's like, yeah, that was a good story. But there's no It's, it's events. the last issue before the Wasp. It's like that's Okay, yeah. So like that's maybe one next thing to issue. fame is what it doesn't have yet. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Like, and we don't really get anything out of Hank Pym and there's no inklings of anything. And we know like Hank Pym takes forever to get any traction doing anything that's like actually flashback to in the Marvel universe someday. Right. Um, sorry, I'm getting my Twitter open here because I want to do some thank yous to our peoples. Well, while you do that, I'll tell them where they can find us. Do that. You can find us at. MakeOursMarvel.com. It'll have all our social media links. It'll have all our feed links for whatever kind of player you want to use to play us. It'll also have uh, a post for each episode, obviously. And on those posts, there'll be images that we talk about. So if you're not actually following along, literally, you can still see some of the panels that we talk about or, you know, like or dislike. Um, and then you can email us at podcast at makearsmarvel.com. We will eventually start doing probably little mini episodes that address mail um, once we get enough of them. this episode, hopefully we've actually done one of those by now. Oh, well, that's true. Maybe we've done one of those by now because we time travel in the show, so it's hard to say what we've done, what we've done and not done. But yeah, keep them coming because we're we're not ignoring them is my point. Mm -hmm. And um, I have been making it a point to give thanks to those of you on Twitter who are sharing and retweeting our posts um, and spreading the news of the podcast. That is great. That is very, very helpful. And actually in the last um, seven days, we've only had one additional follower on Facebook. So or on Twitter, actually. So mountain comics, a uh, podcast looking back at the comics bought while on vacation at the Pocono mountains in the seventies and eighties. Proud member of the fire and water podcast network. That is a very specific podcast. But I, I, I kind of like it cause it's, it's talking about random from one perspective. It's talking about just a bunch of random comics from another right. perspective. It's talking about a very specific, like emotional journey done by one particular right. person. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of cool. It's talking about how someone's fandom was shaped. Mm hmm. Do you ever do you ever remember that show uh, or that movie? Um, see, why do I bring up stuff and then I can't remember what it's called? I don't know. It's like why a dude do you do that? Who, it's like a dude who ran a record store and he broke up, and the entire movie is about the breakup. It's got Jack Black in it and John Cusack and um, Lisa Bonet and all that stuff. Maybe you've never seen it, but anyway, in that movie, he he organizes his records by his life instead of alphabetically. Oh, or by genre. Uh, um, so that's kind of cool. And I, I always wondered, like, could I think about like what order I bought my comics in? I probably could up to a point. Right. Up to a point. And then it would just explode. But okay. Well, we did not get to our third comic this episode. That's okay. We will get to it next time. We're going to launch off March of 1963 with a new title. Yeah. To add to our repertoire. Great and way I wasn't to start sure a new Mark was going to enjoy this. I was kind of apprehensive, but he says he pretty, he, he dug it. So we'll talk about that next time. Yep. All right. So until then, and until the puppet master enslaves Namor against Henry Pym, make ours marvel. Coming September 1st. Image Comics. 
formed in 1992 by several creators unhappy with their current place in the industry. So they band together to make a new comics company for a new generation of readers. Creator-owned mutants, cops, black ops government agents, demon-possessed, and they are going to be the greatest comics ever. In April of 1992, the first issues hit the stands, and fandom resounded with cries of... Pouches? Why are there so many pouches? What? You don't like pouches? All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast, is one fan's exploration of those early years of Image Comics. Youngblood, The Savage Dragon, Spawn, and more, with maybe even a few pouches along the way. So come give a listen at johnreadscomics.com. That's John with no H. Just you can spell it right.